If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter number 13. Numbers chapter number 13. We're going to look this evening at a message I've entitled, The Catastrophe at Kadesh Barnea. Um, Numbers 13, we'll read verses 1 to 3 uh, to get uh, an intro into the the passage and the message, uh, and then we'll end up looking at a number of verses as we go through. But Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 1 The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I, I thank you especially tonight for this church, Lord, for their faithful work and witness here in this community, and Lord, the work that you've used them to do here, but Lord, also around the world, Lord, the the missionaries that they've sent, uh, the men from this church that are out and pastoring uh, here and and around the world, Lord, for the missionaries that they've supported, the faithful part they've had in your work there in the Eastern Cape. Lord, I thank you so much for them, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to richly bless them for their commitment to that work. Lord, I pray now that you would meet with us tonight. Lord, I pray for your presence and your power upon this place. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would make me to be filled with your spirit. Give me the words that you would have spoken. And Lord, may I say that and nothing more. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we know this is the account of the nation of Israel coming to the Providence land the first time. And because it's the first time, we also know that it doesn't go the way it's supposed to. Um, The fact is, this was supposed to begin uh, a period of blessing. This should have been a time of victory. This should have been a time of conquest. It should have been uh, 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 the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But instead, it becomes a story of failure, a story of disobedience, a story of a lack of faith, and ultimately the loss of God's presence. Um, Now, in verse number two, we saw that God again reiterated the land that I give. Um, This was a purpose they had been given. They were to come to this land. They were to enter it. They were to take it. But they had been given the promises that God would do it. Um, this was this was their purpose, and they had promises. And I want us to consider this tonight in light of our own situation. Okay, as a New Testament church, you equally have been given a purpose, and with that purpose, you've been given promises. We know we've been given a purpose in verses like Matthew twenty eight eighteen to twenty. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so there's a purpose given there, but we're also given promises, similar to Acts 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And so we see we have a a purpose, and it's a huge purpose. It is a a major work, but we're given the promise of God's presence, God's authority, and God's power to do it. Now, that being said, unfortunately, we look at, at many churches in our world today, 
And just like the nation of Israel, um, we failed to do it. Just like the nation of Israel, even though we have a clear purpose and we have the promise of God, we fail to do it. And that's what we want to look at. Some of the mistakes that the nation of Israel made that can be some of the same mistakes that we can fall prey to today. First of all, look with me at chapter 13, verses 28 and 29. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. The first thing that I see the nation of Israel here did is that they gave too much credit to the obstacles. I mean, the fact is, is in the work that the Lord has given us to do, there are and there will be, as there has always been, obstacles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardships. You know, it's like, uh, um, you know, as it related to missions, you know, I mentioned in the, in the uh, presentation, you folks are well acquainted with the difficulties of visa. Uh, you know, you got to enjoy uh, the presence of uh, uh, George and Kristen Hammett for an extended period of time uh, because there's obstacles, now, it's one, it's like, I mean, I've heard of several missionaries over the last few years that were even going to South Africa. They ran into an obstacle of their visa, and it's like, okay, God doesn't want us to do that. We're, we're done. Um, you know, one changed fields, another one is done being a missionary. It's like, you know, ran into an obstacle, and that's it. Um, and we're seeing that. You know, it's like uh, uh, I was talking to your pastor, and he you know, said, no, he's seen the same thing that, that, that several other pastors have told me. I mean, we're just seeing less... Missionaries, you know, um, it's like I, I, I talked to one pastor. He's like, I used to get three to five calls a month. I haven't got three to five calls this year. You know, and a lot of it is obstacles. It's, it's harder to get out and raise support. There's less good churches to get into. It's harder to get into a field. You know, it's like uh, I was talking with a, 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 another man, and it's like, I mean, the reality is our American passport doesn't have the same sway that it used to. Um, you know, they're not impressed by that anymore. Um, and in some cases, it can even be a detriment going around the world. There's obstacles, and we can give them too much credit. Um, and uh, uh, that's what the nation of Israel did here. They looked and they said, this isn't going to work. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, There is a great door and effectual open unto me, and there are many ab- obstacles, or, or, or many adversaries. And it's like I remember when I was a young man, my father preached a message on a furlough uh, out of that passage. And I mean, drew attention to how we often substitute a but for that and. There's a great door and effectual open unto me, but there's many adversaries. And so, you know, I just, I just don't know if I'm going to make it through that door. I uh, don't know if that's going to happen for us. Um, we can give too much credit to the adversaries. The next thing I want us to note in verse number 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Related to this, we see that they allowed their own strength to become the determining factor. We're not strong enough. We're not going to be able to do this. We can can look at the work we're given. And again, when we look at the Great Commission, you know, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations. All right? If we start looking at our strength, that instantly becomes impossible. I mean, instantly becomes completely impossible. There is no way we can do that. I mean, you look at any, any given church. I mean, it's like if everyone in this room went to a different nation, we don't quite make it. You know? I mean, that's, that's the reality. And I mean, and then when you consider those nations, I mean, it's like the size of them, the population. I mean, the idea of sending one missionary to China or India, you know, is, is laughable when you stop and think about it. If we allow our strength to become the determining factor, and we can do it on a personal level, you know, it's like uh, one of the things I, I know and understand, it's been true all over the world, you know, um, inflation. You know, it's like maybe you've noticed giving to missions has gotten harder. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't have the money we used to have. Because everything I go and buy spends more of it. And, you know, it's like my employer doesn't seem to understand that. <laughs> and so we look at our strength and we say we can't continue to do this. We can't even do what we've done in the past. Never mind do even more. If we begin to look at our strength, we're never going to be able to. But we understand and we know as our promises relate, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. All power is given unto me, go ye therefore. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. It should never be about our strength. It's never about our strength. Then notice with me in verse number 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Now notice particularly that one phrase, um, the land, right in the middle, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. This is the promised land. This is the land that floweth with milk and honey. This has been promised to the nation of Israel for 450 years. This is what they've been looking forward to and and dreaming of. And now they look at it and say, it'll eat us up. It'll destroy us. If we go in and do what God told us to do, it's actually going to destroy us. Now, can we be guilty of the same thing? I think there's two primary ways where churches can fall into this trap. Now, the first one, I praise the Lord that there is ample evidence that this has not hit Lehigh Valley Baptist Church to this point. And that is the idea that if we do what God has given us to do, if we send people out, You know, if we keep sending our best and our brightest to preach the gospel elsewhere, what will we do here? You know, it's like our church faced that. You know, for years, you know, Brother uh, uh, Scott Kuzel was our assistant pastor and the youth pastor and was involved in special music and all of these ministries. and, And we often referred to him as irreplaceable. And then God said, I want him in Africa. Well, what'll we do? 
He's irreplaceable. That could, that could really hurt us here. That could destroy us here. Can we, can we do that? And there are churches that would hesitate to send men because they would feel they're irreplaceable where they're at. And like I said, there's ample evidence that that hasn't affected you folks to this point. But be careful, there could always be a point where it's like, no, we've, we've given up too many. You know, the last two that went, you know, we've never really replaced. I, I don't know if we can, we can do it again. If we keep doing what God's given us to do, you know, eventually we're going we're gonna to pay the piper here. If we continue on, you know, it's not sustainable. We're, we're not going to be able to do it, and it can strike us. The other way that this happens is when we look at a world around us. Now, there is no question that our world is becoming increasingly sinful. Now, it's like, you know, I've heard some say, it's like the world is more wicked than it's ever been before. And I'm like, remember this place called Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember this minor event called Noah's Flood? It's like, I'm not sure that we've reached that point. But we're definitely headed in that direction. And it has an effect on people. You know, when I would talk to, to preachers of, of my dad's generation, and more so the ones older than that, the previous generation. You know, if you went out in the, in the 1940s, 1950s, and you won someone to the Lord, and you brought them into church, it was a pretty easy transition. You know, for them to come in and start looking like church people and acting like church people and having a church people work ethic and, and all of these kind of things. I mean, it was, it was just not that far apart. But more and more in our day, we understand that, that that gulf is increasing. We look at people in our world, you know, it's like even physical appearance. You know, when I was out on the, the West Coast, I went into a Barnes & Noble in the Seattle, Washington area. And I tell you, I mean, I looked and felt weird. Um, seriously, I was the only one in there who had my natural hair color. I'm not joking. I was the only one in there who did not have multiple facial piercings. I was the only one in there who didn't, I mean, I was one of only a handful of people who did not have facial tattoos. Now, that's something that can affect us sometimes. We can have the thought, what would happen to us if we brought that in? What if we lead these people to the Lord and, and I mean, they're just different than us. They've got scars and they've got trauma. They've got difficulties. They have things that they've gone through and, and it's affected them. There's, there's the physical appearance of, of them seeking after something that they're never going to be able to change it. And if we bring that into the church, I mean, how's that going to affect our kids? How is that going to affect our families? You know, it's like, I'm not sure I would want to share the gospel with them. You know, if we bring too many of them in, that could destroy us. That could destroy what we have here. If we go out there and do what God actually gave us to do, sometimes it's demographics. You know, there's churches. We, we met a family and they told us they had been in a church. The church had been shrinking, shrinking, shrinking as the demographics of the area changed. 
and there was a Spanish ministry that wanted to buy their building. And there were members of that church that said, no, we absolutely would rather sell it to the oil company than see it become a Spanish church. But we see changing demographics, and it's like, no, I mean, we're, we're here for us. We're not going to do that. And churches have fallen into that, where they view God's very purpose as the curse that could destroy them. And they don't do it. Then in verse number 33, And there were... And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So were we in their sight. Here we see they allowed their physical sight to take priority. And certainly this can be related to almost every decision they made. They're now looking with their physical eyes. They're looking in a, in a temporal mode. They are not living by faith. You know, this is, now this is something that is the most basic thing in the Christian life. And yet one of the hardest things to do, you know, it's like uh, I remember as a young man, you know, hearing, hearing verse, the, 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 the verses in the Bible where the Bible just simply states, for the just shall live by faith. You know, I remember thinking, it's like, well, what's that talking about? I mean, is that talking about receiving everlasting life? You know, the just shall live by faith. You know, it's like we're going we're gonna to have everlasting life by faith. Or is this talking about, you know, that, you know it's like a person who is saved. If they're going to be just and, and walking with God, they have to live by faith. Or, or what is it talking about? And the answer is... Yeah, all of that. This is God's purpose. Those who are justified, those who are His, live, exist, have life, have everlasting life, have eternal life, have abundant life, have, have life in this, in this life by faith. I mean, it is to be at the core of who we are and at what we do. You know, every decision we make, everything that we do, however we go through our life, when we, we change jobs, when we keep a job, when we get a new job, when we choose our, our vocation, when we go to school, when we don't go to school, when we go here versus here, when we do these things, we operate by faith. We are to be looking to God. We are to be considering the eternal. We're to be considering it in light of God's word, his purpose, and the work that he has given us to do. And that it will all fit into that. And that our physical abilities and the restraints of this world and the obstacles of this world are insignificant in comparison to God. But they began to look where it just became, you know, let's, let's make a list here. Pros of entering the promised land. Cons of entering the promised land. And let's add them up and let's just do the math. When it should have been, God said go into the promised land. Well, that pretty much settles it. Let's go. Let's by faith just obey God. Then notice in chapter 14 in verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept. That night. Now, we know the congregation at this point is probably somewhere north of 1.6 million people. Just a minute ago, it was 10. 10 that had decided this wasn't possible. And now it's somewhere between a million and a half and three million. They discouraged each other. 
They discouraged each other. And it spread. Now, this is something that, um, you know, some Christians are, are almost gifted in. <laughs> I just feel I have the, the gift of discouragement. <laughs> Not a spiritual gift. Not something we're supposed to be doing. We shouldn't be discouraged. Now, yes, the obstacles are real. The hardships are real. The difficulties are real. And yes, as Christians, we have a a better view of much of that than those around us. You know, it was once a a brother-in-law of mine was trying to get me to watch some YouTube videos. He's like, you got to watch these. I mean, they, 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 they expose some things that are going on in the, the deep state in America and, I mean, the, the New World Order and, and, I mean, just how all these world leaders, I mean, they meet together and they worship a, 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 an idol and all this. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm not going to watch them. He's like, but no, this stuff is real. I'm like, of course it's real. It's way worse than you think. I'm like, you know Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You remember what Satan said to Jesus when he took him up into the mountain and said, all these kingdoms I give unto you as they've been given to me. I mean, that's reality. And it can be discouraging sometimes. When we see the direction our world is going, when we see the direction our country is going, and, you know, sometimes Christians are the worst. You know, it's like I've, I've, I've told a few churches, you know, one of the most discouraging parts of COVID in South Africa was watching American Christians react to it. Not all of them, but some. We can discourage each other. Now, it's like we, we can know what's really going on, but the fact is, is we should know what's really going on. We can always flip over to the the last chapter. We can read ahead. We can understand how it's all going to end. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to return on his white horse, name written, you know, sword of his mouth, destroying all of his enemies, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We know who wins. Now, why would we be discouraged about anything that is absolutely required to bring that end to pass? We don't need to discourage each other, as they did. Then we see in verse number 2, And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. They began to murmur against Moses and against Aaron. Now, you know, we might quickly jump to the idea. See, the problem was here, they, uh, they murmured against leadership. It's a little more complex than that. Remember what we read in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Send thou men, that they may search out the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their father shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. They were following leadership. So, what does that mean? What do we do? How do we know what to do? Well, Moses and Aaron continued to say, 
Thus saith the Lord, go up and take the land. They continued to present God's word. They continued to present what God had authoritatively declared. The others began to give their opinions. We're going to get in trouble anytime we start following men, no matter what their position, no matter what their title, when they start giving their opinion, as opposed to following those that are giving us God's word. Then in verse 2 of chapter 14, again, the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Think about that for a minute. Can you imagine that? How much better off we would have been if we hadn't seen God with a mighty hand bring the ten plagues and devastate the nation of Egypt and show himself mighty to all nations and bring us out and bring us to the Red Sea and part it so that we could pass on dry ground and sustain us with water and food through the wilderness to bring us to this point. We would have been so much better off if God just hadn't done any of that. They begin to despise God's previous work. And ultimately, any time we fail to move forward in God's will, to some degree, we begin to despise what he's done before. Really wasn't necessary, really didn't help me out, really doesn't serve a purpose. If I'm not going to do what he saved me for, I would have been better off if he hadn't saved me. That's what they're saying. We'd have been better off. Begin to despise the Lord's previous works. And we can do the same. You know, when we begin to say, well, we can't do it, we can't go forward. When we have ample proof, both in scriptures as well as in our own histories, if he can save me from sin, there's nothing he can't do. Then in verse number three, and therefore... And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Now, up to this point, most of what we've seen is their doubting of God's power. I don't think God can bring us in. Now we see that there's another element to it. Wherefore has God brought us here that we're going to be slain with the sword and our wives and our children are going to become a prey? What if... Okay, God did some mighty things. He brought us out of Egypt. He had a mighty hand. He brought us all the way here. But what if all of that was just to give all of the spoil of Egypt and all of the spoil of the nation of Israel to the Canaanites? What if he's powerful, but he's not good? What if while he was saying it was for our good and that he was going to bless us, that part wasn't really true and he really brought us here to destroy us? And they begin to doubt God's goodness. Now that's something we can do real easy. It starts with that question, wherefore? Why has God done this? Why has he put us in this situation? He didn't have to put us in this situation. He didn't have to bring us to this particular obstacle. He didn't have to make us go through this hardship. He didn't have to make me face this trial. Surely, if he was good, he wouldn't have. 
I wouldn't have to deal with this. I wouldn't have to face it. Maybe God's not good. And we begin to doubt the goodness of God. And that's where they failed. Then in verse number four, and they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Here they finally came to the conclusion, let's just come up with a better plan. God's given us a work to do, but it's too hard. We don't have the strength to do it. There's too many obstacles. We're not even sure God is really doing this for us and and whether it's in our best interest. Let's just go ahead and do something else. Do churches do this? Can you find churches that are no longer actively engaged in the Great Commission, but rather have focused their ministry on social issues? You know, we can just start a a food pantry and a clothes drive for the poor, and we can send missionaries to Africa to dig wells and teach people in Asia how to irrigate their crops. And we can do a lot of social good in our world, and that can be our focus. We can do that instead. Now, all of those things are are good. They're, They're fine. I mean, we see the example in Jesus Christ's own ministry many times of showing compassion on people, helping them with their physical needs. But it can never, ever become our purpose. Jesus gave us our purpose. He gave us our commission. He gave us the work we are to do, and that has to remain our purpose. We don't get to pick something else just because it's easier. Now, in verses 11 to 39, and we won't take the time to read all of them, but we see that there is a consequence for a failure to believe and to obey. That's the reality. If we won't obey God, if we won't follow after Him, there is a consequence. Notice, first of all, in verse number 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Now, first understand, related to this consequence, related to their disobedience, as as God says here, our lack of faith is never justified. You know, we can, we can put on the best pity party possible. We can come up with all the excuses we think there are. But the fact is, is when we fail to trust God, it is never, ever justified. In every instance, God uh, truthfully and righteously looks down and says to us, how long will it be ere you believe me for all the signs which I have showed among you? God has proven himself Time and time and time and time again. Our lack of faith is never justified. This is true in salvation. When someone says, well, I'm not sure God will save me. You know, the Apostle Paul's own testimony. He saved me, the chiefest of sinners, to make it abundantly clear beyond all shadow of a doubt that he can and he will save anyone. There is no lack of faith that is justified. 
God has proven himself faithful. Then notice verse 12. God continuing to speak to Moses says, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of thee a greater nation and a mightier than they. We're replaceable. You know, one of the most humbling experiences you ever have in life is when you discover you're replaceable. (laughs) You know, few things humble you uh, further and faster than understanding you are replaceable. Now, again, consider the the context here. 1.6 million people plus. And God says, I'll start over. I'll replace every last one of them. I'll start over with you, Moses. You know, every time you think in God's scheme of things that you're something special and irreplaceable and God's depending on you, no one understands. God said, I'll replace an entire nation. I can, and if I have to, I will. We know that he went on. In verse 22 and 23, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and had followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. He replaced an entire generation. Now what we understand there is God's purpose is not undone. God had promised the promised land to the descendants of Abraham. Did the descendants of Abraham receive the promised land? Yes. God's promises and God's purpose did not fail. But an entire generation missed out on the blessings of being involved in it. They missed out on their part and their blessings in being involved. And that is what we get to decide. Now, I'm not going to thwart God's purposes. It's not going to happen. But I can remove myself from his blessings. And I can be replaced. You know, God's not sitting up in heaven and it's like, boy... I hope, I hope James Wyatt stays on the, the straight and narrow and makes it back to uh, South Africa or, or I just won't be able to get the gospel to those people, you know. Uh, he doesn't need me. I'm replaceable. We're replaceable. Now, they made all of these mistakes and it led them to make another mistake. They've now lost God's presence. And guess what they do once they've lost God's presence? Hey, let's try to do something for God. Let's go take the land. Failure. They're now trying to do without God. Now we know the scriptures tell us in John 15 verses 4 or 5, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Nothing. We can't do it without him. 
That's what the nation Israel ran into. So they decide in verse number 40, and they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here and the will go up to the place with the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper. In order for us to do what God has given us to do, we must have his presence. We must have his power. The nation of Israel, when they sought to do this, they were told, as we saw there in verse number 41, it shall not prosper. We were told, they were told in verse number 42, ye shall be smitten before your enemies. In verse number 43, they were told, ye shall fall by the sword. It will not happen. You know, and this is the other uh, or another mistake the churches fall into. It's like it becomes a matter of we can just do it. We've got the programs, you know, we've got the soldiers here, we've got the swords, we've got the shields, you know, we've got a, a plan, we've got leaders, we've got all of this. Let's just go do it. You know, we've got everything in place. You know, we've got the books to study through. You know, it's like we've got the, the gospel tracts printed. We've got shiny pictures on them. You know, we've got everything. We need to fulfill this. You know, we've got experience. We've sent missionaries before. You know, it's like we know how it's done. We've got a Bible institute. We train them. I mean, we, we, we've got this down. And we can fall into the trap of now trying to do it without the Lord. We are completely dependent upon him. And I mean, and when we think about, you know, it's one of those things, what a, how a church works. It was just recently, um, or something I was doing, studying um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. When he ascended, he gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles and prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the uh, and then he gives this, this teaching, and, and uh, as I went through it, you know, it's like step by step, the different things going. And um, you know, I was telling someone, it's like, you know, it's like uh, uh, the role of a, a pastor and evangelist. Paul uh, summarizes it all in a single sentence there in Ephesians chapter 4. That single sentence has three semicolons, two colons, 17 commas, and last five verses. So he no way simplified it or simply summarized it, but he did summarize it in the way only the Apostle Paul could. <laughs> but what he gets down to is these evangelists, these pastors, these teachers, these um, are, are to be edifying the, the body of Christ. They're to be building the body of Christ so that they then together in love are joined together. And then by the, the strength that each joint supplieth, okay, the melding of these people together in love in Christ edifieth the church and groweth the church into Christ, and then from Christ it grows. And I mean, go look at it, and uh, I don't have that in my notes. This wasn't a part of this message other times I've preached it, but um, it's amazing. It is is amazing. And I mean, it it gave me a, 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 a renewed and better understanding of exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And how it is, it is focused on these people, but their relationship individually into Christ, which then brings them together, and the strength of that relationship then flows from Christ, Christ to the growth of the body. 
And so we understand for a church to, to be in Christ and to be what it's supposed to be and to grow the way it's supposed to be, to have the presence of God. And he says, and that, and that is determined by the strength with each member provided. Not the exact wording. And so this church can only be what it's supposed to be as you are what you're supposed to be in connection with him being what he's supposed to be and you together being what you're supposed to be with him being what he's supposed to be and her being what he's supposed to be and you all joining together being what you're supposed to be. You know, the Lord's presence, he doesn't come and live at, what is it, 4702 Colebrook Avenue. It's not how it works. Lehigh Valley Baptist Church having the presence of God to do what it's supposed to do is dependent on each and every member abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in them and then you abiding together in Christ. That is a personal, individual responsibility for each and every member of the body if we're going to be able to do what God has given us to do. In closing, two questions. Are you operating in faith? Believing God has given us a work and a promise. It's trusting him. You've told us to do it. You've given us the power, the strength to do it. Do we understand that that work requires and we must thus be committed to his presence? 